This is an AMI podcast. Hey, Dave Brown here. If you enjoy this podcast portion of our show, remember you can watch it live every day at 9 a.m. Eastern time on AMI-tv. Welcome back. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. More restaurants are using robots to prepare food. There are some extreme examples. Vancouver's Food Republic uses a robot that makes 300 salads in an hour. Major chains are experimenting with robots, too. Domino's has a robot pizza oven. White Castle has a robot arm that flips burgers. So the core question... Would you go to a restaurant run by robots? Jenny Bovard has thoughts on this. Jenny is the host of the Low Vision Moments podcast. Hey, good morning, Jenny. Hey, good morning, Dave. Or should I say beep, 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 boop? <laughs> yeah, once again, you and I find ourselves <laughs> talking about robots. And that's okay, Jenny. That's okay. Because when AI and food and robots can meet each other, I think you and I are uniquely qualified to talk about it. So, Jenny, the core question at the heart of this conversation is, how would you feel about eating at a restaurant run by robots? Dave, I would feel just fine about eating at a restaurant run by robots. The caveat for me would be as long as someone at the, the top of the chain of command is in charge, as long as there's an actual human being that owns the business, because otherwise that's like a sci-fi story that is interesting, <laughs> but I don't want to be a part of. Um, I think the big thing is is thinking about the fact that Robots and tech are already very much involved in the food that we eat. And just the front line, the fast food part, this is just a big new thing that we are being challenged to embrace. We have robots and tech all throughout our lives, right? They're cleaning our houses. They're helping us perform surgery. They, But again, they've been involved in our food and what we eat for decades now. Mm. They're milking our cows, right? They uh, produce our food, help produce our food at like a factory level. And of course, there are some concerns that go along with robots and tech replacing these jobs, right? People are concerned about humans losing their jobs to robots. And the food industry is saying that, hey, we have actually had like an exodus of fast food workers since about 2021. Businesses are claiming that they can't find people to work, to fill these jobs. So the argument is that, hey, these robots are stepping into, like you said at the top, to flip burgers and cook fries and scoop hundreds and hundreds of avocados to make guacamole. These are repetitive tasks that maybe one could argue that humans are sick of performing. Chipotle's uh, on board and big chains yeah. like Domino's are on board. And they're claiming that as well we can shift the human beings to other roles, right? Someone needs to maintain these robots and this technology. There needs to be some quality control. And of course, there are still customer-facing roles, and maybe those will be enhanced, right, yeah. as a result of moving the robots into the fast food kitchen. Yeah, the human connection still matters, and I think you underlined it quite empathetically, that there is still a labor issue at, at the core here in this conversation. It's not to replace humans. It's about perhaps enhancing the experience. So with that caveat in place, acknowledging some concerning trends in the way workers are treated in, treated in the labor force, 
where do you see the advantage from a customer point of view? I can think of a couple, but I want to give you the first crack at it. Oh, I can't wait to hear your advantages and see if they align. Um, I think it's important to, to state, you know, there may be a correlation between finding people to work in fast food and the wage that we pay them. Um, of course, robots and tech, it's going to spell savings for the business owners, right? The machine that can make 300 salads an hour, I don't know any human being that can be that efficient. Robots also don't call in sick. So we're not going to be waiting for our food when we're in a rush. Imagine you're on a lunch break. Imagine you're out trying to get errands run, right? These efficiencies are hopefully going to be passed down to us. It's going to be nice and fast every time. There's less room for error. My hope is that my salad won't have any of those hard tomato pieces. If there's a robot on board, it should be able to detect these things with less room for error. <laughs> Are my garlic fingers going to be cut evenly? If you're on the East Coast, you know, you know. <laughs> but the same goes for pizza. Nothing worse than like a bunch of uneven pizza slices. That's where my mind goes, the efficiency. And human interaction is important, right? Maybe we'll start seeing savings as well. But just going back to human interaction, let's acknowledge that it's important, right? In the dosage that it works for us, human interaction is good. Even if it's just complimenting someone on their latte skills. I need, I have days like that where yeah, I just need to talk yeah. to the barista. But other days I just, you know, I'm having a hard morning. I just want to get to my meeting. I just want my breakfast sandwich and my coffee. I don't need to exchange pleasantries necessarily. So there's there's that benefit too, right? Dave, before you tell me your 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 take on this, which I'm dying to hear, let's also think about again, all the tech that's already in our lives, vending machines. People probably turn their noses up at vending machines, but every now and then that vending machine coffee is what you need, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, right. So let's think about that. And refrigeration, this is just a new evolution on how humans get our food in a fast, efficient way. I think and, you, but we need to be, let's be conscientious at the same time. Yeah, I think, I think you and I are aligned because I was also thinking about speed, the speed and efficiency of the customer experience, mm -hmm. right? That that if if the robot knows how to make the coffee just the way I like it, even though I'm generally drinking black coffee, <laughs> but if I am going to indulge in that cappuccino or that latte, I like the idea of knowing that it's going to be consistently made to a certain quality standard and that it's going to be made quickly. I, I, that's been one of the distinctions because I've been, I've been bouncing this question around the show basically since we launched this morning about about would you go to a restaurant run by robots? And the general consensus was that in quick service or fast food, people were cool with that idea because of automation that already exists and because there are certain uh, adequate quality control standards that you want in place. And maybe that McDouble that is good at York Mills and Leslie and not so good at the uh, Don Mills and Flemington Park location, if you can start bridging some of those gaps, uh, that from a consumer point of view is good. And not having to wait for 20 or 30 minutes when I'm in a purported fast food restaurant, I can definitely see that advantage. But Jenny, that's where the zooming out in this conversation matters, because I think it's easy to look at this in the context of fast food or quick service. But then there is the restaurant side, the sit down restaurant side. And I'm curious how the nature of the restaurant impacts your point of view, because if I'm going to an elevated place, 
I really want to have that artistic connection to not just the cook or the chef, but the server as well. I ended up going to a steakhouse in Calgary earlier this year where the food was delightful. I mean, a steak is a steak is a steak and a potato is a potato is a potato. But the experience was delightful because of the kindness and caring and attention to detail of the human who served us. You hit the nail right on the head and it, it, consistency, yes. Key with my breakfast sandwich, key with my coffee, those fast go-to things when you're in a rush. But a sit-down restaurant is a whole other experience. And this comes down to just options for me. I don't see robots replacing the nice environment and social interaction that we get with the server and the going above and beyond that we get when it makes me think of one time my husband and I went out for our anniversary a robot server is fun and gimmicky but they're not going to overhear our conversation that it's our anniversary and then surprise us with a dessert that says happy anniversary on it you know I don't see that happening if I did I would be very impressed with whatever tech they're using. But it's those nice-to-have things that go along with a sit-down restaurant. I don't think those are going anywhere, although there are some restaurants that, even in, in the Halifax area, we have a sushi place, we have a Chinese place where a, a robot server yep. brings you yep. your food. And it's a gimmick. It's a fun thing. But it's options, right? I want the option of... I want all these options. And I think that is... That is where we're going with this. That's my hope. I, I once again want to give a shout out to Cassandra Chaddock of AMI's uh, Marketing and Communications Department for sending me a video yesterday of a cafe in Tokyo that utilizes robot servers and a lot of robot labor. But Jenny, here's the twist to apply a disability lens. The robots are run by employees with disabilities remotely, right? So, like, there's a world here where you can kind of get the best of both worlds and do some, like, equitable hiring for people with disabilities. Like, like there are moments in these kinds of stories that do fill me with hope. Yeah, we need to look at the bigger picture, like you said earlier. Even when automation came in, in, in like a factory setting, there are still human beings required to make those things happen and to make them successful. And yes, you can employ any number of people in any number of different ways. And and that that's the best of all the worlds, I think. Jenny, one last question on the way out the door here. This was uh, brought to my attention by one of our producers, Bob, yesterday. It's such a good question. Would you tip a robot? The logical answer should be no, right? A robot? <laughs> how is a robot going to go above and beyond? A robot doesn't have a mortgage to pay. But at the end of the day, if those tips are being passed on to humans, you know, if that's made clear to me, I might consider tipping a robot. <laughs> it's like it's like when the self-checkout machine asks you for a tip and it's like, wait, what? Who, who am I tipping here? Does this go back to me? That's right. That's right. <laughs> hey, Jenny, you're the best. Thank you for always bringing such interesting topics to the table. Good chat, Dave. Thank you. That's Jenny Bovard, the host of the Low Vision Moments podcast. You can find that show on your favorite podcasting platform, one of my personal faves on the a mighty AMI-audio podcast network. Let's bring in John Lepke to talk a little bit about entertainment. John, your topic is also dealing a little bit with automation and, and AI. The estate of co the co late comedian George Carlin is suing a podcast. What are some of the details here? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So, Joys of AI, 
uh, this podcast, uh, two podcasters from this podcast called Dudesy um, are being uh, sued because they used uh, or they are accused of being of using uh, George Carlin's materials um, uh, to train an AI model and then host a podcast, which, uh, to my understanding, is basically a, a comedy special of sorts using data and so now now the family is saying this is um this is gross this is you know this is antithetical to what george carlin believed in you know um really interesting that they put the comedian who wrote the bit about the seven words you can't say on tv like very counter-cultural i'm sure he would be I, I think it's fair to say he would be horrified um and so it's interesting the the uh, a lot of the coverage around this notes that uh the law quote hasn't kept up which i think we're seeing in a lot of sectors when it comes to ai um and so we'll see where where this shakes out as to where the line is when it comes to um repurposing content in this way it is simultaneously very entertaining to see how ai is being used to repurpose existing intellectual content i don't know if you're familiar with uh, the ai artist who took uh, frank sinatra's voice and had him sing get low by lil john and the east side boys that popped up earlier this year um oh i you know john it's it's tricky in terms of sort of the literal versus the satirical i don't know about a full-blown monetary podcast is something I'm comfortable with, but I don't want to lose sight of some of the oddities and weirdness and satire that AI can offer. So, so as much as I would certainly empathize with the estate on this lawsuit front, there is opportunity, opportunity with creativity and AI, and I don't want to lose sight of that. Yeah, I, I think for me, it's the fact that they're training it on the model for him to come up with content. Right. If you're if you're uh, if you're using a voice to say something funny of somebody who is dead, um, then you know per perhaps as an example, not the only example, th then perhaps there's there's mileage. I th I think it's just particularly when it comes to comedy, there's this weird split where some people see it as artistry and some people don't. Often consumers don't. Um, yet the you know, the level of effort it takes creating a new hour every year, essentially. I think George Carlin had something like 12 specials over his mm -hmm, career. Mm -hmm. um, that's not an exact number. Apologies, listeners. But but he had a lot of segments. And he really saw from the from an earlier days of countercultural community on to being sort of the elder statesman in his last special rallying on about about funerals fairly soon before he, he passed away from a heart attack. Um that they picked a countercultural comedian is is really interesting for this, and I think it's probably why there is this response from from the family, where it's like this doesn't seem to be in alignment with yeah. what the comedian would want. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I I get that too, and I also think the scale matters as well when you're talking about a full hour podcast or a forty five minute podcast that's essentially repurposing someone's voice. Like that is that can get problematic uh, very quickly and quickly. And considering that I'm someone who uh, has been on national television for over ten years now, uh, it would be pretty easy for someone to make me say whatever they want as well. Which uh, maybe I'd feel a little bit different if the shoe was on a different foot. Uh, John, thank you for this. Have a great day. Thank you. You as well. That is John Lepke coming up after the break.
Ontario school boards are making a weird decision around the solar eclipse coming up in April. I've got that story in the regional news update. This is Now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. Dave Brown here. If you enjoy this podcast portion of our show, remember you can watch it live every day at 9 a.m. Eastern Time on AMI-tv. Hi, I'm Ramia Amuthan. Join me weekly for AMI Audiobook Review, the podcast that explores new titles, introduces us to famous narrators, and updates what's hot at the Center for Equitable Library Access. Download episodes of AMI Audiobook Review from your favorite podcast provider.